This is Kenny Green, the lead pastor of City Light Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith as we dive into the life-changing, life-giving Word of God. I hope you enjoy this message. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to Father, God, we thank you for how you're moving in this room. And God, we really are. We, we're here for you. You've been so good to us. You've been so kind to us. You've bestowed so many blessings upon us, Lord. We're not here to ask for anything. We're not here to be blessed one more time. God, we're here to bless you, to worship you, to lift high the name above every name, your son, Jesus. God, we acknowledge that we're nothing apart from you. Nothing else will do. Nothing else can truly satisfy the longing of our souls. God, we've tried a lot of things. We've depended and turned on We've turned to a lot of things, but nothing can satisfy the longing of our souls like you can. Nothing else will do. We declare that we just want you. God, as we dive into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would turn the lights on, teach us, lead us, guide us in this moment, challenge us, inspire us, convict us. And God, we pray as we dive into your word that it wouldn't just be articulate speech, persuasive language, but God, that it would be a demonstration of the power of your Holy Spirit. That what we would see today would not happen by power or by might, but it would happen by your spirit. We beg this, we ask this, we believe this in Jesus' name. Amen? Hey, can I get a good amen in the house today? Hey, can you go ahead and give them some praise right where you're at? Hallelujah. Hey, if God's been good to you, give them a shout right now. Hallelujah. Y'all may go ahead and be seated. I want to take a moment and welcome all of our churches, if we could. Welcome our Mon Eagle campus up there on Mon Eagle Mountain. Just a rowdy bunch for Jesus. Rowdy. Love the Lord, probably just ripping the roof off of the church. And our Chattanooga campus, can y'all show them how to get loud? Even though it's 9 o'clock. Praise the Lord. Everybody that's watching online, not just in a few little cities, but around the world. In India, Pastor Raju and all of his friends watching in India right now. Our friends in Canada, Ireland, Africa, 
We welcome you into the room and we are excited about what God has for you today. Today we conclude our series entitled Church Hurt. We're talking about how to find healing. We've been looking away from the hurt and we've been looking onto Jesus who is the author and the finisher and the completer of our faith and people are moving forward in freedom. People are experiencing healing. Uh, the feedback has been enormous from those that have are coming out of church hurt, those that have experienced church hurt, some recently, some even as long as 15 years ago, but are finding a new sense of freedom. And could we just pause and give God a praise for those that are walking forward in freedom and finding their healing? It's been great. And today we conclude uh, this message. I really do feel like we saved the best for last. We've covered so much already, far too much for me to recap. If you missed any of those messages, go to our website, citylightchurch.cc forward slash watch. You can get caught up on all of, the, all of the sermons from the series. I would really encourage you to watch the first series because, or the first sermon to the series because it was very foundational for the entire uh, series. But today we're closing it all up with a big message and... I premise it with this, God has wrecked my heart as I was preparing this, as God was just uh, putting this together in my own mind, in my own heart, as, as I was preparing this, God did a, a massive work in my own heart, and I pray that how it landed in my heart, I pray that it would land in yours today, that it would be helpful to you, that it would be life-changing uh, for you, and today, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to preach on this subject, and I want to help, I want you to help me preach my sermon to your neighbor in just a few moments. And it's really a, it's a declaration. It's really a, a confession. And this is what I want to preach on today. I still love the church. I still love the church. I thought you would like erupt and clap at that moment, but apparently none of you love the church, but that's okay. Hey, look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I still love the church. Even if you don't believe it, say it. Now look to your other neighbor, the neighbor that you don't really like, that you're not too sure about, and say, I still love you too. I love you too. Not if it's somebody else's spouse. Amen. Don't do that. Don't do that. But I do. I still love the church. I, I still love the church. I know the church is, is a mess. I, I get it. I understand it. Yeah, I know. I, I know it's caused some hurt. I know church people can be the craziest people you ever meet. Amen. But I still love the church. I'm, I'm not ready to give up on the church just yet. I'm not going to give up on the church. Why? Because the church never gave up on me. I still love the church because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is building his church. And one day, we sung about today, he's coming back for his church. And for some of you, if it wasn't for the church, think about where your life would be at today. For some of you, yeah, you've experienced some hurt in the church, but you've also experienced some life change in the church. You've also experienced some great things in the church. Some of you, you got saved in a church, gave your life to Jesus in a church, saw your marriage restored in a church, met that special someone maybe in the church. Some of you got free from an addiction in the church. Hey, can we just pause and give God a crazy three-second praise for all the good that's happened in our lives in a church? And what we realize is when we really think about it, in most cases, in most cases, yes, the church maybe has hurt us. Maybe we've had some church hurt, but the church has helped us more than it's hurt us. 
Said a lot of good and a lot of good that's being done in the earth is still being done through the church. So I, I still love the church. I want to encourage you today to never give up on the church because the church is still the hope of the world. The church still matters. It's still the best place to learn about Jesus. It's still the best place to grow in your relationship with Christ. And we still need the church. And there are so many churches in the world today that are doing it right. There are. There's so many that are, that are doing it right. There's so many that have Jesus at the center. And there are so many that have the word of God as, as their foundation, even with all the headlines. And I just want to go ahead and let you know, there's going to be more headlines. You're going to see more. You're going to see churches not doing it right. You're going to see pastors not doing it right. You're, you're going to see failures and you're going to see people fall. And, but you have to understand, there's still a lot of great churches. There's still a lot of pastors and leaders that love Jesus. And we can't cast judgment on every other church just because of what we've experienced in one church. And it's still important that we find a church where Jesus is at the center. Because the greatest calling of your life, the highest calling of your life, is that you would be connected to a church that honors Jesus, that represents Christ that has the word of God as its foundation. The church is important. We've been commanded to not give up the gathering of the saints, amen. And it's still a necessity to our growth. Now, I know that sounds good, doesn't it, church? And I know that's exactly what you would expect to hear from a preacher and a pastor of a church. That sounds good when we're preaching it, but how many of you know it's harder than it really sounds? For those that are here today that have been burned by the church, you've been jaded by the church. But we have to understand today, yeah, it's hard, it's complex, it's difficult. And the reason why it's hard and it's complex is because the church is a mess. Nobody really clapped there. I, I figured we wouldn't. Because you're like, I am the church. And if you say the church is a mess, that means I'm a mess. Exactly. You're a mess in process. You're a mess in progress. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. Let's just do that together. Can we do that? Can you say this? I'm messed up. I'm messed up. Look to your neighbor and say, you're messed up. You notice how it got louder in here when you said, you're messed up? Always happens, every time. Let's say this, and we're all messed up. The church is a mess, but it is our mess. Let me say that again. The church is a mess. Yes, it's, it's imperfect. It's, it's a mess, but it is our mess. It's ours. The church is imperfect because it's made up of imperfect people. And imperfect people and flawed people will always inflict pain on other people. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we do it on accident. It's going to happen because the church is messy, people are messy, it's a mess, but it's our mess, and we have to understand that we've all probably caused a little bit of hurt in the church, and we've all experienced a little bit of hurt in the church. None of us are perfect, so it's a mess, but it's our mess, and God wants to use you to make it better. He wants to use you and me to, to make it better. So today, we're talking about this. We're going to talk about how to love the church when it hurts. How to love the church when it hurts. Have you, hey, you hurt, have you ever hurt your wife or your husband before? Have you ever thought about hurting them? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> have you ever thought about killing them, right? Because you made a commitment till death do us part. 
So divorce is not an option, but murder is on the table. Always. And so we don't divorce a spouse just because they hurt us. So don't divorce the church just because it hurts you. So we're going to talk about how to push through the hurt, push through the pain. And we're going to talk about how to love the church even when it hurts. And this isn't easy. Like, this is hard. It's completely understandable for it to be hard. You've experienced deep hurt from people that shouldn't have hurt you. They were supposed to help you. And the stuff we're going to talk about today as we dive into God's word, it's going to challenge us to do better when it comes to handling the church. It's going to challenge us to do better when it comes to to handling God's people. In fact, uh, the main reason why many church leaders hurt so many people and the main reason why Christians hurt so many people in the church is because we, we misunderstand what God's word teaches about the church. And if I could give us a major thought today, it would be this. If you don't get anything else, I pray that you get this. We hurt the church when we misunderstand the church. Write that down if you can. We hurt the church when we misunderstand the church. And if we could ever see the church the way Jesus sees the church, and if we could ever see what Scripture teaches about the church, whenever God inspired his people to write about the church, then, then we would do our best to not hurt it. In fact, we'll do the opposite. We'll do whatever it takes to repair it. We'll do whatever it takes to help it. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes to, to make it better. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't inflict more pain and cause more hurt on the church. So today what I want to do is I want to give us three ways we can love the church when it hurts. Three ways on how we can love the church when it hurts. The first one, if you're taking notes, first we need to strive to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. To change your life. It'll change how how you approach church. It, it will change how you serve in a church. It, it will change how you perceive and view the church. If I can strive to see the church the way Jesus sees the church, I have to understand that the church is very important. And the reason I had to know that the church is important is because it's important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, it's got to be important to me. Amen? You see, the day I said yes to Jesus, I also said yes to his bride. The day I said yes to Jesus, I also said yes to Jesus' wife. Do you know that Jesus is married? Do you know that Jesus has a bride? Jesus has a wife, and his bride is called the church. In fact, I love how the word of God uses marriage as, as a picture of God's relationship to his church. So when Jesus sees the church, you have to understand this. This is primary. This is, this is prominent. This is foundational. When Jesus sees the church, he sees it as his bride. He sees it as his wife. The body of Christ is known as the bride of Christ. The church is his bride. And when we see the church as the Savior's bride, we're going to treat it with care. Amen. We're going to be careful with it. We're going, to, we're going to love it. We're going to support it. We're going to have compassion on it. Look at what Scripture teaches when it, when it comes to Jesus and the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Watch this. It's so powerful. He said this. He said, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, that's the church. Somebody say, that's the church. 
and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Somebody say the church, which is his body. Now watch this, takes to a whole other level. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, which fills everything in every way. Jesus loves the church. Church is a mess. It's a mess because of us. (laughs) It's a mess because of its people, but it's beautiful because of its head. It's beautiful because of who Jesus is. That's why Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He's praying that they would see the church the way that Jesus sees the church, that that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would be able to see it through the lens and, and through the eyes of Jesus because when we misunderstand the church, we hurt the church. That it's his body. It's his body, but it's also his bride. And Paul takes it to a completely different level. And he says, not only is it the body, not only is it his bride, but it is the fullness of God. The fullness of Christ can be found in the church through his people. The fullness of God Almighty. You can't experience the fullness of God apart from the people of God. You can't experience his fullness apart from his bride and his church. And so the fullness of Christ can be found in the church through his people. That's the church that we're supposed to be, representing the fullness of Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves today is this, are we helping bringing about the fullness of Christ in the church by representing Christ's likeness or are we hurting it because we misrepresent him? The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That word fullness, it's such a complex word in the Greek. It it makes this very difficult to interpret. Like this is such a, a heavy theological verse. We're talking about the fullness of God, y'all. How many of you know it doesn't get any bigger than that? The fullness of God is what we're talking about here. Like, is it saying that the fullness of Christ is in the church? Is it saying the fullness of God is in the church? Or, or is it saying that the fullness of God is in Christ? And Christ is the one that fills the church? And, and there's all these different types of theological angles you can take. But most theologians believe that what it's saying here is that it's talking about how Christ is the fullness of the deity. He's the fullness of God. And Christ fills the church. And that Greek word for fullness, it's in the passive Greek or it's in the middle voice and the tense in the Greek. It literally means that, that he fills the church or that the church is being filled through Christ. That we're being filled with Christ, the fullness of Christ. So Christ is the fullness of God, and the church is being filled with Christ. And I don't know about you, I want to be a part of the very thing that Jesus is filling and pouring into and committed to. I want to be a part of pouring into the only thing that Jesus is pouring into, and that is his church. 
The one thing that he's pouring into, the one thing that he's for, the one thing that he's doing right now, he is filling his church. He's pouring into his bride, meaning that Christ is sanctifying the church, meaning that he is setting us apart. Meaning that he's making us spotless. Meaning that hopefully you and I are looking more like him. Amen? Because Jesus is coming back for a spotless church. He's coming back for a blameless church. So he's sanctifying us and he's setting us apart. And we are in this process of being filled with the fullness of Christ. And it says in Colossians 2, 9, he says it again in, in, in verse chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness. Somebody shout Fullness. The fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So we are being brought to fullness in him as we gather the church. So the church is bringing me to fullness. And I'm bringing the church to fullness. You see it? So the church is bringing me to fullness as I get connected to his bride, as I get connected to other people that are being filled with Christ. And then at the same time, I get to contribute to making that church full and complete as I get connected to it. Paul, again, he says this in Ephesians 3, and I'm teaching today, by the way. I'm not really preaching today. I'm teaching Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Watch this. He said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He's all about the church. Watch. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together, 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 together. Not on a couch watching online. Together. In this room, together. In this room, praising him together. In this room, serving him together. In this room, in the word together. It's together. It's together that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness. There it is again. Of God. We can't experience his fullness apart from together. Apart from the church. See how big Jesus is on the church? Like he's big on the church. He's, he's real big on it. He's all about the church. And we hurt the church. We give up on the church. Because we misunderstand the church. And what Paul is trying to get across to you and I. Is that Jesus has such an intimate and close relationship with his bride. With his church. That you can't really say that you love Jesus. And then say but I don't love the church. Because the two are inseparable. You can't really say that hey I'm all about Jesus. But I'm not so much all about his church. If you say you love me but you don't like my wife. Guess what you and I have got some serious problems to deal with. Are y'all with me today? Because if you've got something against my wife, you've got something against me because me and my wife are one. So if you've got something to say about her, you've got something to say about me. And the same is true with us in Christ. We are one just as a husband and wife are because we are his bride. And if we've got something bad to say about his church, it's just like we're saying it about him. 
oh, it's important. I still love the church. I don't know about you, but I'm resolved more today than ever before to not just say I love the church, but I want to show that I love the church. We got enough people preaching about how they love the church and, and they want to stand in this pulpit and talk about how much they love the church, but are they showing you how much they love the church by how they live in their life? And we got a lot of, I love the church, I love the church, I love the church. But do you really love the church? Because it's not enough for me to tell my wife that I love her. I had to prove that I loved her. In order for her to say yes, when I got down on one knee, at that point, I had to not just say that I loved her, but I had to show her that I loved her. I want to show Jesus that I love his bride. That's why I give. That's why I give to the church. That's why I serve. That's why I pour my heart into it. That's why, that's what gifts me up in the morning. That's what keeps me up at night. I want to pour into the very thing that Jesus is pouring into. So think about this. When you're serving and you're putting together coffee mugs and, and you're behind the scenes and you're clicking a button and getting the live stream set up and you're over there watching the kids in the nursery and, and you're pouring in, you're pouring into the very thing that Jesus is seated on his throne and he's pouring into it too. I get to pour into this. So I get to do this. I want to do this. I get to do this because it's what Jesus is filling. It's bringing about the fullness. So I want to take my talents. I want to take my treasures. I want to take everything that God has gifted me with and pour it in to the very thing that he's pouring into me. So I don't just want to say it. I want to show it. God, help me as a pastor. God, help us as Christians to understand that the church must be handled with care. Love. Support, holiness, being set apart. That before I do something, I need to think about, is this going to damage the church? Is this going to hurt the bride? Hold on a second. Think about that. There are some things I won't do because I know it'll hurt my spouse. There are some things I just won't do even if I wanted to do them, because I don't want to hurt my family. I wonder if there are some things that you are doing right now that you shouldn't be doing simply because it's hurting the bride. It's hurting the church. God wants us to be set apart. This, this world is crazy right now. Oh, man, it's crazy, isn't it? Isn't this world so crazy right now? You turn on the news and you see how crazy the world is. It, it's so crazy. It's so spinning out of control right now. And, and a crazy world needs a set-apart church. God help us to be able to be distinguished from the world. Are you with me today? That there's something set apart about us, that we are a peculiar people, that, that we are different. And so if we're not careful, we will hurt the church by looking just like the world. Am I hurting the church? Because I look more like the world than I look like Christ. Jesus, he's all about the church. Are you pouring into it? Are you pouring in to the only thing that Jesus is pouring into? Is this helping anybody today? In fact, let me just talk about this. So Paul, he's all fired up about the church. Do you see it? He's like, it's the fullness of Christ. He's talking about it in Colossians. He's talking about it in Ephesians. He, he's writing about it in 1 Corinthians. And he's writing it about it. He's, he's all fired up about it. And the reason why Paul was so passionate about the church, you want to know why he was so passionate about the church? How did someone become so passionate about the church who used to destroy the church, by the way? 
It wasn't long ago he was wanting to kill the church. He was wanting to destroy the church. He was wanting to imprison Christians. He was wanting to have them murdered. He was there to make sure that Stephen, the first martyr, stopped breathing. So how in the world does a man go from wanting to kill the church to becoming so passionate about the church? Here's why. When you misunderstand the church, you will hurt the church. Paul was destroying the church because he didn't understand the church. You will hurt the church, and I will hurt the church if we misunderstand the church. But Paul, whenever he was converted, the day that he got saved and the day he started following Jesus, Jesus gave him a revelation of the importance of the church. So amazing. It really just drives this home, and it wrecked my heart when I read this. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, Paul, he's actually known as Saul. He's dramatically converted. He goes from the church destroyer to the church builder. And, and so how does he make this shift? How does he make this transformation? Well, number one, it was Jesus. Because anytime you surrender to Jesus, you're going to be on fire for the church. Are you with me today? Because it is his bride. And so you love him. You're going to love what he loves. And so that, that's number one. But then he got a revelation of how important it the church really was. And so in, in verse 9 of Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's wanting to get orders to kill them and imprison them. And he says, I want to go all the way to Damascus. And I want to take them captive. And I want to throw them in a jail. And I want to have them killed simply because they're following Jesus. I want to stop this movement called the church. And as he neared Damascus, verse 3, it says on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, watch this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Hold on now. Why would Jesus say, I'm the one that you're persecuting? Paul isn't imprisoning Jesus. Paul isn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God on his throne in heaven. So he's not persecuting Jesus. Here's why Jesus says you're persecuting me. Jesus so identified with his church. He said, Saul, if you mess with the church, it's like you're messing with me. If you persecute the church, it's like you're persecuting me. Because he's so identified with his church. He was so inseparable from his church. He is filling the church. He's bringing about fullness in the church. He's pouring into the church. We are his bride. He is one with us, and we are one with him. So if you come against the church, it's like you're coming against him. Are you with me today? If I tear down the church, then I'm tearing him down. If I say I hate the church, what I'm saying is, is I hate him. Paul in his conversion gets a revelation of the importance of the church, and he goes from destroying it, hurting it, to building it, and repairing it, and expanding it. Because we hurt the church when we misunderstand the church. Are you with me today? As I was studying this and I was preparing this, I just got more driven than ever before. As a pastor, to handle the church with care. To handle it with care. Here's what we all have to understand. Ain't none of us going to do it perfect all the time. Are you with me? Ain't none of us. But God, help us to be intentional. To even be thoughtful of how we handle the church. So I still love the church. What about you? 
I still love the church because Jesus loves the church. And I, I'm not going to let a few bad misrepresentations cause me to give up on the church. So the first thing we got to do, we got to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. And then number two, we need to realize the church needs you and you need the church. Think about that. The church needs you and you need the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, he, he moves. He's not talking about the church as a bride anymore. Now he's talking about the church as a body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's, he's talking about how it's a body. In chapter 12, verse 12, he said this. He said, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. It's made up of many parts. It's one body with many parts, and each part of the body is important. Each part of the body is significant to the overall completeness and the functionality of the church. So when one part of the body is damaged, it affects the entire body. When one part of the body falls asleep, come on somebody, don't fall asleep in church today, it affects the entire body. When one part of the body gets hurt and gets damaged, it affects the entire body. Are you tracking with me? And so the, the reason why it's so important that when we get damaged or, or when we get hurt or when we get sidelined is to always remember that this cannot be permanent because the church needs me. The church needs you. And, and I, know it's, I know it's hard. I know you, you want to say, forget the church. I'm giving up on the church. I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm done serving. I've got fear. I've got reluctancy. But the longer you stay out of the game, the more incomplete we stay. Are you with me? It's just a simple truth. Like we, we just can't function without all of the parts of the body. Are you with me today? And when all the parts of the body are clinging together and, and are in unity together, there, there's something very powerful. There's something very beautiful that takes place. But we've got to realize, man, the church needs me. And you're like, man, what could I offer the church? I'm nobody. I don't, I don't have any. I can't. You would be surprised how gifted you are. And you would be surprised how slowly the church is moving forward because you're not connected to the body. You underestimate yourself. You underestimate how much God can do through you. That's what it's about. It's not about what God can do through somebody else or what God's going to do through the preacher or what God's going to do through the worship team. No, here's what it is. I'm coming to church to see what God can do through me. He wants to do something through you. He wants to change the world through you. We've got to get connected. One thing that we do when we get hurt, what do we do when we get hurt? We isolate. We isolate. We, we put up walls. It's completely understandable. We, do, we don't want to get hurt again, right? Come on, somebody. We don't want to get bit by the same dog again. Come on. We, we do. We, so we, we put up walls to protect ourselves because we don't want the same thing to happen again. And so we isolate. But anytime we disconnect, anytime we isolate, we are positioning ourselves to stay stuck in our hurt and to stay damaged and to stay stuck in our pain. And the best thing we could ever do is re-engage the best thing we could ever do is, is reconnect and move out of isolation because you may have experienced hurt in the church, but how many of you know you can also experience healing in the church? Amen? 
Hey, how many? We've been hurt by the church, but guess what? The same thing that hurt me actually became the place that healed me. That, that, that I, yes, I was hurt. Yes, I, I was damaged, but, but there was something in me that just wouldn't let me give up on the church. I thought I was done. I thought, I said, man, I'm never going to serve again. I thought, man, you know, I'll never lift my hands in a service again. I'm just done. There's just something in you that wouldn't let you give up. There's something on the inside that says, no, I got to keep moving forward for, for my faith, for my family, for my kids. And, and you push through and you found yourself to a church and you found yourself at an altar and you found yourself finding healing in the very place that you thought you would experience more hurt. That this is a place of healing, amen? That this can be a place of healing. I've seen it. I've, I've seen it time and time again. I, I've seen it over and over and over. And what you discover is that not only does a church need me, but I still need the church. I still need it. I still need it. I 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 don't want it right now, but I need it right now. Because without the rest of the body, I'm just a hand. Are you with me? You can't fully function with just a hand. How crazy that would be if you had little eyes on your hand. That was just you. That's all you had. You can't function just as a foot. But once the hand gets connected to the body, and once the foot gets connected to the leg, and once you get joined up with other people in the body of Christ, you get to experience the fullness of God. It begins to complete you, and you begin to complete the church. You see how beautiful it is? It's the fullness of Christ. You need God's people. You know, it's so, it's so trendy today. For people to say, you know, I love Jesus, I love the Lord, but I don't go to church no more. Are y'all with me? Y'all hear that a lot today, right? You know, I, I still got me and my Jesus and my coffee, and that's all I need. I don't need the church. I don't need, I can worship God in my own way. In fact, my church is when, I, when I'm out watching a sunrise or a sunset. My church is in nature. Are y'all with me today? How many of you know that simply, let me, hold on. I want to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But I don't want to cause any church hurt today. So I'll say this. It's the most unbiblical thing somebody could ever say about the church. And here's what you have to realize. Nature can't pray for you when you get diagnosed with cancer. And nature can't pray for you when you got a son hooked on drugs and they've lost their mind. Nature can't lift you up when you don't know what you're going to do with the teenage daughter. Nature can't pray for you when you're about to have an anxiety attack because you're so anxious all the time. But the church can. A preacher can. A small group leader can. I don't know about you. I still need Although I love this sunset, although I love this sunrise, that sun can't pray for me and can't hold me accountable and shift me in the right direction when I'm about to do something really stupid. But God's people can. That rock ain't going to heal me. Amen? That cliff, that view, that oceanside beach, I love it, but it can't heal me. It can't save me. 
It can't hold me up when I can't hold myself up. But God's people can. The people of God can. We still need the church, and the church still needs you. I need to get around God's people. Paul, he's talking about it again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, so Christ himself, Christ himself did this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers fivefold ministry to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness. Somebody shout fullness. fullness. One more time, fullness. fullness. The measure of the fullness of Christ. The church is being built, but it's being built through you. It's being built through God's people. You need the church. The church needs you. So whatever church God's led you to, you know, you know what you got to do? If Jesus is at the center of it, the word of God is the foundation, you need to get connected to it, you need to give your life to it, because you will never experience the fullness of Christ apart from it. So we need to do this. How do we love the church when it hurts? We got to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. That's number one. That's foundational. Now I've got to remember the church still needs me. And guess what? I still need the church. And the place of my greatest hurt can become the place of my greatest healing. And the third thing as I wrap up, how to love the church when it hurts. Here it is. You ready? I must forgive the church. I must forgive the church. I want to encourage you to forgive today. I want to, I want to push us to forgive today. Forgive the person that hurts you. Forgive the people that damaged you. Forgive what they said about you. Forgive. Forgive them like Christ forgave you. Forgiveness. Because until you forgive, and until you let the church hurt go, until you let the offense go, until you take your hands off of it and don't pick it back up next week because that's why we never really experience true freedom and forgiveness it's because we misunderstand forgiveness we think well if i forgive them pastor then i've got to be besties with them again no you don't just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you got to go and just be best friends again you can forgive somebody and still have boundaries with those that hurt you. Nothing wrong with that. We also think, well, I'd forgive them, but I, I can't forget what they did to me. You will never forget what they did to you. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is simply, hey, I remember, but I'm not holding it against them anymore. And really what it means to forgive biblically, the biblical definition for forgiveness, it means to cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. So this is what I do. I, I count up all that they did to me. I count up all that they took from me. I count it all up. You might even write it all down. This is what they did to me. This is how it hurt me. This is what they robbed me of. This is what they owe me. 
And you write it out and you face it and you feel the anger and you feel, man, you feel the hurt of it and you feel the weight of it and you face it, you write it out and then you have a moment with your God and then you cross a big line through it and you say, cancel the debt. They don't owe me anything anymore. I put a big slash through it and I'm totally and completely forgiving them for all that they did to me, all the pain, all the hurt, all the stress, all the depression, canceling the debt. They don't owe me anything anymore. And that's exactly how Christ forgave you. Everything that you ever did against them, everything, all the sin, he wrote it all out. He canceled the debt. When you said yes to Jesus, he paid the price because sin has a paycheck and the paycheck is death. But Jesus paid the price when he died on Calvary's hill for you and for me. So now when we come to him in faith, he can look to you and say, you don't owe me anything anymore. I'm not holding it against you. Not holding it over you anymore. I've canceled the debt. I'm going to encourage you to cancel the debt today. There's so much freedom in it, isn't there, church? Oh, there's so much freedom and forgiveness. You see, we think that, that when we get bitter and when we seek out revenge, we think that it hurts them and it imprisons them, not knowing that it's imprisoning us. It's binding us. It's chaining us. It's, it's weighing us down. It's freedom and forgiveness. Bitterness doesn't hurt them. Bitterness hurts you. Someone once said, unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and expecting the other person to die. Isn't that so true? It's like eating rat poison. And expecting the other person, it hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. So forgiveness isn't setting them free, it's setting you free. It's loosening its grip on you. So, so there's like a biblical reason. Jesus says, you know, if you want me to forgive you, then you've got to forgive others. So there's a theological reason for me to forgive, but then there's a logical reason for me to forgive because it affects me negatively emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. In fact, psychologists have studied this and they've done a lot of study in brain scans on what the brain looks like when it's bitter versus a person that's not. And they look like polar opposites. The first thing that it begins to do to your mind, it's, it's this thing called rumination. It's when we nurse and rehearse the hurt. Are you with me? We nurse it and we rehearse it. That means we keep that thing alive. Are you with me? It's so alive. It's all we talk about. It's all we think about. It consumes us. We're constantly nursing it. Man, if I went a day without thinking about it, I feel like, man, I've just missed out. And I'm going to nurse it and I'm going to bring it back and then I'm going to rehearse it, which reinforces our negative emotions and it burns the event deeper into your neural pathways. It creates such a rut in your mind that no matter what, you will always find yourself rehearsing the hurt, consumed with it. The second thing they said it does is it diminishes your memory. Huh. Think about that, church. 
When you remain stressed through bitterness for long periods of time, it releases cortisol. It actually causes our brain to forget and affects your memory center. Third thing it does, it amplifies negative emotions. Prolonged bitterness amplifies our amygdala's sensitivity, making us more susceptible to more hurt, more pain. So now the smallest thing offends you. Now the smallest thing sets you off. This is a German term. The fourth thing that happens, it's, it's schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is the concept that describes the secret pleasure we feel when we see those who have hurt us experience misfortune. It actually causes the brain to produce the pleasure neurotransmitter dopamine to see them not doing well. Quite the opposite of what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to pray for our enemies and bless those that persecute and hurt, damage us. This is heavy, I know it's, What we have to understand, it's not causing the other person any hurt. It's not causing them memory loss. It's not. It's not not making them lose their minds, and they're not losing sleep over it. But we are. It's not hurting them. It's hurting us. So today, we've got this powerful opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin stepping towards forgiveness. And forgiveness is a process. Somebody shout amen. It's a process, and your process is going to be different than their process, and their process is going to be different than their process, and and we're all going to have different processes. But today, it is your opportunity to start the process of forgiveness and start walking in freedom so you can get back to making a difference. Because some of you, the bitterness, it's taken root in your life. And today, God wants you to be free from it. You see, unforgiveness is a lot like a gas tank and a match. The longer you hold on to it, the more likely it's going to blow up. Unforgiveness is a lot like a match and a tank of gasoline. We think that every time we, hey, get even or we get revenge or, or something bad happens in their lives and we spread it and we talk about it and we celebrate it, we think that we're pouring gas on them. But really what we're doing is we're pouring on ourselves. It's consuming us. It's hurting us. And this, and this is what we do. You know, we, we take a seat in it and we just sit down in it. And we say, oh, we, know what we, we know what to do. We know how to do this. They did that to me. They hurt me. They said that about me. I'm going to say something about them. And this is what we do. We just pour gasoline all around us. See it? I'm going to get even. What they say? Well, let me tell you about them. You pour a little more gasoline. Let me get even with them. I'm never going to forgive them. What they did to me, what they took from me, I'm going to punish them for the rest of their life by hating them every second of every day. And then we take a seat 
and we think we're hurting them. But let me ask you a question. What happens if I strike this match? What happens if I light this match? It's going to consume me. It's going to hurt me. It's going to destroy me. It's not hurting anybody else. It's not hurting anybody. It's hurting you. It's imprisoning you. It's holding you back. It is. And maybe it didn't even happen in a church. Maybe it's something that happened when you were a child. Maybe it was something that happened. It wasn't even inside a church. But you know what it's like to hold on to offense. You know what it's like to hold on to revenge. You know what it's like to hold on to unforgiveness. But the only one that's going to go up in flames, if I strike this match, is me. It's me. Some of you today, it's time to let go of the hurt. It's time to let go of the match. And instead of striking the match and consuming yourself, what if today we took the match and we laid it at this altar and we let it be consumed by the presence of God and we find healing, wholeness, hope, fresh start, new beginning, new mercy, new grace, and a God that loves us so much a God that loves you too much than to let you strike this match and destroy your life. What are you holding on to that God is calling you to let go of today? I'm telling you right now, as you walk in this freedom, as you walk in this forgiveness, there's a freedom that you never thought was possible. I don't know who it is. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know if it was a pastor. I don't know if it was a youth leader. I don't know if it was a small group leader. I don't know if it was a friend. I don't know if it was a father, a mother, a son. I don't know. But I know this. Every single one of us knows what it's like to have this match and to carry that unforgiveness and to carry that hurt and to carry that pain. And I wonder if today you would just choose. I'm not holding on to this anymore. I'm letting it go. Some of you, maybe you feel like, I need to forgive God. God, I cried out to you. God, I prayed. God, I asked for you to intervene. I asked for you to move. Nothing happened. They still died. They still got cancer. And you're so mad at God, but maybe today, just realize, I'm not hurting anybody but myself because the very God that I'm mad at, that I feel like has hurt me, is the only one that can heal me. He's the only one that can help me. And today you drop the match and walk in the freedom that Christ has for you. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks for those of you that give generously to City Light Church. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, you can click the link to give now in the description, or you can go to citylightchurch.cc forward slash give. And if God is using this podcast in your life, you can subscribe today. You can click the share button and help us get the word out to the world. Thank you for listening and God bless.